So we're in chapter 37 of Genesis. We're going to read the first two verses, and then we're going to talk about what's going on, okay? So starting in verse 1. So Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. So the time period that we're in right now in Genesis, it's between 1730 and 1900 BC, and we're in a place called Hebron, so it's, it's close to where modern-day Israel is. And Jacob, if we've forgotten who he is, this is the same one who was able to trick Esau into buying a bowl of soup for the birthright. This is the same one who fought with an angel of God to gain a blessing from God, therefore changing his name from Jacob to Israel, Israel meaning a striving with God. This is the same one who was in love with a woman named Rachel and worked for seven years only to be tricked to taking her sister Leah, then working another seven years to finally have Rachel. And so now we're at a point where Jacob has worked 14 years. He's in his older age. In fact, in this time in Genesis, he's probably around 108 years old. Crazy. Crazy to think of that. And over the course of his life, he's had 12 children. I think we have a slide right here where you can, just so that you can see the family tree here, because it can get a little bit confusing. So Jacob had four wives, Leah, Zilpha, Rachel, and Bilhah, and those are all of his children. And the man we're talking about this morning is Joseph, the 11th son. And so now as we move through the rest of these verses, we see that he's introduced in this passage. And now starting in the second part of verse 2, it says... Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him, and could not speak peacefully to him. So Joseph, he is the 11th son, as I said before. And he has this uniqueness to him. This father, Jacob, has this favoritism, this special love for Jacob that is different than all of his other brothers. To the point where he makes this multicolored robe. See, in that day, if you were to have a multicolored robe, that meant you were in royalty. That meant that you were in a position of leadership an elevated position, and he gave that to Joseph. This favoritism was given to him. And so there's this phrase here that says, the son of his old age. Now, practically, that means that Joseph was one of the younger sons of Jacob's old age, but we also know that this phrase means someone who, ex who exemplifies maturity and leadership at a young age. And so Joseph was unique. He exemplified maturity, leadership for a 17-year-old. And because of that maturity, Jacob gave him the task of looking over his brothers, making sure they didn't get into trouble. And so Joseph is out with his brothers as they're pasturing the flock. Him and his brothers are shepherds of Jacob's flock. And what does it say here? It says that when Joseph is out with his brothers, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. 
So here we see that Joseph isn't just, he's not just covering up what his brothers are doing. He's not trying to keep the peace so that he doesn't have any tension with his brothers or with his father. He's being honest. He sees something and he says something. And so this leads to the first point of this message, that a teen titan displays honest leadership. This morning we're going to go through the aspects of what a teen titan is. And the simple definition of what a teen titan is for today is that a teen titan is a young man or woman who's walking with God. Now that doesn't mean that this just applies to young people. This is going to apply to everyone here. But so we see first that Joseph displays honest leadership. Are you honest? Are you honest? Do you seek truth as a priority in your life? See, there's nothing that God loves more than honest lips. In Proverbs, it says that honest lips are like a kiss on the lips. And it says here in Proverbs 12, 22, that lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. See, just as Joseph sees something and he says something, we're called to say truth when we see injustice. And in addition to that, are you a leader? Joseph was an honest leader. But see, I think there's a misconception in church when it comes to this term leadership. See, I think that we think that the people here upstage, the people who are singing, the people who are in plain sight, those are the leaders. Those are the people who are leading. Those are the people that we can trust to put all the weight on, to put all the responsibility on. You know, I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to let them lead. But the honest truth, church, is that 1 Peter 2.9, it says this. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So what is this saying in 1 Peter? It says that there's not just specific people who are assigned to leadership. It means that we're all assigned to leadership. There's leadership in your very DNA as a follower of God. We are all called to be priests. We're all called to be ministers. There's not just specific people who are assigned to that. And that changes your actions. That changes the way you think about being here on a Sunday morning, about walking throughout the week. You are a leader. You're a minister. And God has so much more for you. In what ways is he calling you to lead? See, leadership isn't just being able to, to do this on a Sunday morning or be in front of people. See, he has a specific way that he's called every one of you to lead according to the gifts that you have. We're called to make disciples. See, how can you make disciples if you're not leading people? We're called to honest leadership. And for the young people here this morning, I think there's this misconception that it's only at a certain age that we can seek maturity, that oh, I'm going to wait until I get into my 20s, I'm going to wait a little bit, and then I'll get mature, and then I'll get my stuff together. See, our society has this idea of extended adolescence, that, you know, I can extend as long as I can responsibility and all this hard stuff and all this weight so that I can just have a season of immaturity. But see, Joseph, he didn't live like that. He started leadership, he started to exemplify that right when he was 17. And so do you seek that? 
Do you seek honest leadership? Young people, it's never too young to seek this. So now moving into these next verses, we see that there's another aspect of what it means to be a teen titan. We see some supernatural things happen in Joseph's life. So here we go. We're going into verses 5 through 11. So now it says this. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Verse 9, Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come down to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. So here in these verses, we see that Joseph has been given a prophetic dream gift. And now it's, it's important to know, and we've seen this other Sunday mornings, Pastor Tim or Pastor Matt has, has talked about this before, that whenever you see something repeated throughout Scripture, that means that you should pay attention to it. Whenever you see something repeated, that means that that's something specific that God wants to say. Whether it's in a couple of verses, whether it's in a couple chapters, whether it's in a couple books, that's an important theme to keep your eye on. And so here we see that dreams, specifically in Genesis, are a very important theme. Throughout Scripture, there are 21 dreams that are recorded, and 10 of those dreams are here in the book of Genesis. And so the theme that we should pay attention to through these dreams, this dream gift that God has given Joseph, is that God uses supernatural ways to speak to his people. And not only his people, but other people as well. We see in these different dreams that are recorded in Scripture, he speaks to kings who aren't following him. He speaks to so many different people. And now the question you're probably asking is, oh, if God gave Joseph a dream, is he going to give me a dream? Is he going to speak to me in that supernatural way? Can God speak to us in supernatural ways? Absolutely. And does he do it? Yes. But we, may we not be tempted to think that the supernatural is more important than the most supernatural word that we have. This is living and active, sharper than the sharpest double-edged sword. And unlike Joseph, every single one of us has the Holy Spirit living in us, speaking to us constantly. God is speaking through creation. God is speaking to you all the time through everything, through his people, and especially through his word, through Jesus. And so he works in supernatural ways. And so let's look at these prophecies here. So the first prophecy is talking about these sheaves. So what is a sheave? So a sheave is a bundle of wheat. So back then in that time, you would go into the fields and you would gather these grains of wheat and you'd put them into these bundles called sheaves. And so in the first prophecy, it's saying that here's Joseph with his sheaf and that his sheaf is rising over his brother's sheaves and that his brother's sheaves are bowing to him. And then in the second prophecy, it says that the sun, moon, and stars were bowing to him. The sun and the moon represent his parents. The 11 stars 
represent his brothers. And so here we're seeing a prophecy of how eventually Joseph is going to be elevated to a point of leadership where his family bows down to him. And how do you think his brothers respond to that? Are they excited? Are they, do they feel good about this? No. Now their jealousy and hatred is increasing even more. And this is just the beginning of that hatred and this jealousy. So we see that Joseph is using this gift, this prophetic dream gift, right? That's good. That's awesome. But see, there's a problem here because in verse 10, it says this. It says, but when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And so this leads to the second point where a teen titan uses their gifts in a posture of humility. A teen titan uses their gifts in a posture of humility. See, the reason why Jacob rebuked Joseph was because in his energy, in Joseph's energy and his excitement, he displayed this attitude of pride. Look at me, I'm going to be in in charge of all of you. You're going to bow to me. Look at this place of leadership that I'm going to be in. And he allowed pride to slip in. And see, with each and every one of us, there's a tendency to either have fear in using our gifts or pride in using our gifts. Either we think that we're not good enough and that our gift isn't going to do anything, or we think that we are better than we ought to be. In Romans 12:3, it says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but rather think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So we all have unique gifts, but don't let pride ruin how God wants to use those gifts. Are you artistically driven? Are you administratively driven? Are you a teacher? Are you a leader? What way has God gifted you? You have a gift, church. You have something to give. Don't think that your gift is meaningless, that it it can't do anything for the church. There are so many places here at Cornerstone that need your gift to be used. Do you understand that we're the body of Christ? There are hands, there are feet, there are eyes, there's a mouthpiece. All of that works together. And as a nurse, I I know firsthand that when one part of the body doesn't work well, it affects everything. And in the same way, when you're not using your gift, when you're not seeking what gifts you have, you're affecting the entire body. God wants to save people more than you want to save people. Let that sink in for a second. God wants to show his glory more than you want to. And he is begging us to just use our gifts with this humility and to seek how we can use them. And so let's use them, church. Let's use our gifts. Let's see how we can bring glory to the gospel. And so we display our gifts with a posture of humility. Joseph, in this case, wasn't doing that, but we learned that we need to use our gifts with boldness, with a posture of humility. And so now as we're moving through the passage here, keep in mind that hatred and that jealousy that his brothers have because now it's going to come to a tipping point in Joseph's story. 
So we see a plot twist here in Joseph's story. And so Jacob is sending Joseph out to his brothers. His brothers are out in Shechem. Shechem is the place where he has allowed the sheep to graze. And so Jacob is worried again that his brothers are going to get into trouble. And so he sends Joseph out on a journey. And so Joseph goes out on this journey to find his brothers. And he goes to Shechem and they're not there. And so after he arrives in Shechem, there's a man that tells him where his brothers went, that they went to Dothan. And so it says that he went to Dothan. In verse 17, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. And now it's here in verse 18 that we see the meeting that Joseph has with his brothers. And it says this in verse 18, they saw him from afar and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water into it. So now matters get worse for Joseph. He's doing all the right things. He's a righteous man. He's a young man who's displaying honest leadership. He's using his gifts. And here his brothers cannot take it anymore. They take matters into their own hands and they throw him into a pit. So now it's important to understand this is not just like a hole in the ground. This is a well, a cistern is basically a hole in the ground, but it had a different purpose than just being a hole in the ground. Um, <laughs> they throw him into the cistern, and it's around two to three feet wide. It's around 15 to 20 feet deep. They throw him in there, and you could see the callousness of their brothers when it says in verse 25, then they sat down to eat. They had such hatred toward Joseph that they were willing to just sit down, eat, and relax while his brother was in this pit. They betrayed him. Their anger boiled over to this point. And so in verse 25 to 28, it says that there's a group of traders who are going to Egypt, and they sell Joseph to these traders who are going down there for 20 shekels of silver. They sell his brother for money. And so this leads to the third point this morning, that a teen titan endures trials. A teen titan endures trials. Now we're not going to go through, most of us are not going to go through the same type of trial that Joseph went through. I hope not, and I pray to God you don't. But it's important for us to understand that trials are not this foreign thing, church. Trials are not this strange thing that happens because you did something wrong. Now, yes, that can, bad things and trials can happen because you sin against God, because he allows you to suffer that consequence. But please understand that trials and suffering, they are a natural part of the Christian life. 
In fact, in 1 Peter 4.12, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though though something strange were happening to you. Jesus says that in this world, we will have trouble. You will have trouble. You will have tribulation. But we know this, we know, that in first, we know that in James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Church, I don't, I don't know what you're going through this morning. I know that there's some people here who are going through some really rough stuff, who are going through terrible things, and it's hard for you right now to see that there's a purpose behind that. It's hard for you to get through it every, it seems like it's just lasting for days or for weeks or even years. But may you understand, church, that these trials, these tribulations that he puts in our lives are to make us into something incredible. See, our faith, when we first come to Christ, it's like this, it's like this piece of golden ore that's in the ground. I don't know if you've ever seen golden ore in the ground before. But you see like little specks of shiny gold and there's dirt all around there. And see, the only way that you can get all that dirt and all that impurity out is by putting it through intense fire. Intense fire heat. And so there is sin in our faith, there is sin in our lives that the only way that it can be removed is through that fire and it's through that tribulation. Church, he uses it for your sanctification. What sanctification? It's the process of making you holy. It's the process of making you set apart for God's purposes. It's the process of purifying your faith and taking away all that sin, all the distraction, all that stuff that's dead in you that gets in the way of God speaking and using you. He uses trials for your good, church. He uses tribulation for your good. And he loves you. And so, what we see is that what Joseph's brothers intended for evil, God intended for a different purpose. And so now in verse 39, we see what happens to him. We see that Joseph is sold to a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar was the the captain of the guard in Egypt. And he appointed Joseph as an overseer of his property. Appointed him as an overseer to to see everything that was going on. And while he was his servant, verses five to six say this. It said, all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. God used this suffering, this trial that he went through, to put Joseph now in an ability to bless Potiphar, in an ability to bring blessing to his house. 
But now why was this happening? Why was Joseph able to bring such blessing to his house? What well, says here in verses 2 to 3. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. And again in verse 3, the Lord was with Joseph. And so this brings us to the fourth point for this morning. A teen titan brings blessing to those around him. See, Joseph may not have known the big picture of what was going on for him, but he knew that God was with him. And may I encourage you this morning that with whatever you're going through, God is with you if you're in Christ. He's walking with you. He's in front of you. He's beside you. He's on all sides. He is coursing in your spiritual veins. He is with you, church. The God of the universe is with you. His presence is with you. And when his presence is with us, there's no telling what God's going to do to the people around us. I mean, I don't even think Joseph expected that there was going to be such blessing for Potiphar at his house. You have no idea how God's going to bless the people around you when you're simply walking with him. You have no idea how encouraged people are going to be just by looking at your walk, just by looking at how you live scripture out, the words that you speak, everything that you say, everything that you do is important and can be used by God to change other people and to bless other people. And so the rest of the story, long story short, Joseph gets elevated to a position of second in command in Egypt. Gets, over to a, gets up to a higher position in leadership than, than he ever thought. And there's a famine in the land that is shown to Pharaoh through a dream. Joseph interprets those dreams. And Joseph's family is still in Canaan. They come to Egypt. And Joseph essentially is the reason for why the, the line of Judah that eventually leads to the Messiah... <clears throat> happens because Joseph provided a safe place for his family. So that's the story of Joseph. We see that a teen titan displays honest leadership. A teen titan uses their gifts in a posture of humility, and a teen titan endures trials. A teen titan brings blessing to those around them. Now here's the thing. If you haven't listened to anything else right now, please just pay attention to this part. I'm preaching a bad sermon if I don't tell you the bigger picture of what's going on here. See, because there's something even greater that is going on in this passage. See, actually, I don't even want you to be like Joseph. Because, see, Joseph is pointing to the greater Joseph. This story is not even about Joseph at all. See, it's in this story that we see that Joseph points to the greater Joseph, Jesus. Christ, our Messiah. See, it was Jesus that was the anointed one of the Father. It was Jesus who was anointed. It was him who was betrayed by his brothers and thrown into the pit of suffering, the cross. It was him who was sold for silver. It was him who was elevated to the position of the, the highest leadership, the king above all kings. Jesus is the one who's being highlighted in this story. Jesus is a foreshadowing, Joseph is a foreshadowing of Jesus. He's the Christ. Jesus is the main point of the story of Joseph. He points to him. And church, 
It's not about us focusing on each of these specific points to be able to walk in them. But when we look to Jesus, the perfecter of our faith, that is when we're able to walk in all of these things, walk as a man or woman of God should walk, by focusing on him. Jesus is the point of the story. He is the greater Joseph. And so church, let's walk in him this week. Let's walk in him today. Amen? All right, let me pray for us.